There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the US Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO published on election day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain, inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests, in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. You are listening to another episode of Modern Guilt. What's up? How you going? I'm going well. Thanks for asking. Nice. Damon, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. Cool. Hope you're good, listener. And if you're not, I hope you're learning. So. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good little uh, maxim to live by. <laughs> good stuff. Just another one of the many gems dropped in uh, Modern Guilt. It's all free. <laughs> well, not all of it, because we do offer some exclusive content on Patreon, which, if you listened to last month, would have um, bagged you like a 300% gain on OCGN. Oh, dude. So, oh, it's so <laughs> fucking good, eh? Yeah. I'm just, when you sent me that this morning, um, everybody was like, Hayden was like, bro, fucking Archigen, check it out. I just saw it and I was like, oh my God, that's yeah. so sick. It's like a fucking, it's been like a five bagger since we chatted or some shit, eh? Like I saw it got down to like a dollar or something and now it's up at like uh, 15 or $2 yeah. or something and now it's yeah. up at 15. It's been um, a pretty meteoric rise for Occugen. So um, if you like making money and uh, <laughs> if you're interested in, in stocks, then subscribe to us on Patreon for our next picks. And yeah. um, I think there's a pretty good chance that, um, you know, you'll make a dime. Or at least not lose one. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's unlikely that, you know, the next few picks are going to rocket like Occugen has, but we'll, we'll set you right. It's okay. Yeah. Um, but we don't offer financial advice. Um, <laughs> Do it at your own risk. Yeah. Two coming up. Pretty excited about those. Going to be diving into the, uh, the models later on. Mm-hmm. Speaking of anger against Trump. I saw everybody's pissed off that he left the uh, Screen Actors Guild or SAG. Sorry? Um, oh, did you see that? He- no. What's? Can you repeat that? I don't know if I heard you right. It, he wrote this like fucking letter to the Screen Actors Guild um, Trump announcing, did. yeah, yeah, announcing that he left it and like signed it off as like President Trump. And then just talked about <laughs> himself as a successful fucking actor in Home, Home Alone too or something that's so hilarious <laughs> glad to see that he's still kicking around uh he like released mm. another report saying that he's really happy now that he's off social media so, yeah i saw that yeah. as well yeah you can't beat the king no matter uh, how you try yeah especially if you know the king rules a fictional kingdom in his own head he'll oh. be happy forever yeah definitely can't beat him then speaking of trump just being trippy I read this morning, this was another two weeks in a row now, I've just like coincidentally stumbled across some like really good media before we've done the podcast that I've been able to just sprinkle in. But yeah, I came across a really great interview um, from 2018 uh, by Vulture magazine with Quincy Jones, like the extremely successful, you know, genius music producer, which... I actually don't, and I'm going to pull him up because I'm not... 
I'm not super well versed, but um, I'll send you a link to this article just so you can see a photo sick. of him because this photo enhances right. the impact of uh, the interview. I feel so he he worked with like everyone from fucking <laughs> Michael Sorry. Jackson to Frank Sinatra <laughs> to the Beatles. Like was just basically an all-encompassing boss of the music industry for the past, you know, 60 years or something. Um, Don King of music. Exactly. Like, just <laughs> essentially a genius. Yeah. And is sort of, like, quietly regarded in the music industry as just, like, the, I guess, grandfather of, like, modern music, if that makes sense. Like, he just paved the way for so many people and is just universally respected. Yeah. And... There's a, there's a lot of um, pretty hilarious snippets in this interview. One of them that just came to mind because you mentioned Trump was... Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to try and find this. So they're talking about race in America. And um, the interviewer asks, what stirred everything up? Is it all about Trumpism? Bearing in mind that this interview is from February 2018. And Quincy Jones responds, it's Trump and, unde and uneducated rednecks. Trump is just telling them what they want to hear. I used to hang out with him. He's a crazy motherfucker, limited mentally, a megalomaniac, narcissistic. I can't stand him. I used to date Ivanka, you know. <laughs> the no. interviewer says, wait, really? He goes, yes, sir. 12 years ago, Tommy Hilfiger, who was working with my daughter, Kidada, said, Ivanka wants to have dinner with you. I said, no problem. She's a fine motherfucker. She had the most beautiful legs I ever saw in my life. Wrong father, though. <laughs> that's outrageous. Do you think that's true? Yeah, How man. old would she have been back then, though? Oh, like, like uh, 12 years ago from 2018, she would have been, like, in her early 20s, I'm assuming, I guess. And, and, and Quincy Jones, and Quincy would, Jones have been, would have been, like, 70 or in his mid to late 60s or something like that. That's fucking outrageous. Yeah, because the guy's a player. Like, he's a boss. <laughs> like, he's just one of those magnetic dons who will just attract beautiful women to him for his entire life, I, I feel. I'm a little <laughs> salty about that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you can be that too by the time you're 65, man. It's okay. Nah, I don't have it, it in me. It's Those a slow guys, like, ramp up. Um, bleed a certain energy that I uh, don't think I'll ever be able to tap. Yeah, into. that that um, wilt wilt Chamberlain energy. Yeah, yeah, fucking a. <laughs> oh my god! Didn't he um, claim to have slept with like 25,000 women or something? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty fucking ridiculous. But I that's mean, that's insane. That's yeah, such a that's a full time job. That's like it is. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary that anybody could manage that. He must have um, seen some incredible things. You know, like you just think the the places you'd go and the things you'd see. Yeah, um, I mean, for that to be logistically possible, you would need to be entering palaces full of naked women, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. I mean, I'm sure Quincy Jones and Wilt Chamberlain, you know, uh, hit up some of the same parties. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, this Quincy Jones interview is pretty incredible because he's just like a, a truth-dropping motherfucker. Like he's sort of reminds me of like Samuel L. Jackson's character from Pulp Fiction, but if he was 85 and worked in the music industry. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and um, yeah. He, he like just basically bags out everybody that the interviewer brings up. He's like, oh, are there any, like, misunderstandings that the public has about Michael Jackson? And he just goes on to explain how, like, Michael Jackson stole heaps of his music. He was really greedy. The plastic surgery was just a load of bullshit, basically. What do you <laughs> um, mean? Like, 
Oh, so he used to justify his plastic surgery by saying that he had health problems. Oh, um, yeah, Revigo, uh, Vitiligo or something. Yeah, Did I can't it? remember. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. But, like, Quincy basically just calls bullshit and just, you know, says it was because he was abused by his father who always used to call him ugly. Um, mm. And anyway, um, as per usual, we'll link this in the show notes. Um, the URL... <laughs> Um, which I'm doing now because I'm a smart boy. HTTPS. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, fuck it. That does sound good. I like I like hearing that sort of stuff because it confirms um, my like deep suspicion that those fields are filled with tons of narcissists and like horrible people, and that oh, everybody yeah. within it is just like just like a disgusting dog of um, you know like of emptiness and and craving any sort of affection whatsoever so like acting you just know you know you know like you just fuck when that fucking gal gadot video came out where they were singing imagine because nobody was paying attention to them yeah that was horrific hey yeah speaking Um, of (laughs) man that um aoc uh testimonial i totally spaced it out um and it's just popped back into my fucking mind yeah, we didn't touch on that at all, did we? Um, no. Pretty hilarious. Yeah. Do you want to give the down low? Well, I am not 100% around this, but I can I can do my best with it. Um, so disclaimer, I'll probably get a few of these details wrong. But um, yeah, essentially, um, this probably started from AOC um, accusing Ted Cruz of attempting to have her murdered in the Capitol Hill building um, on Twitter. And... <laughs> Then I, I think what happened is she, she asked Nancy Pelosi um, in Congress if they could spend some time um, unpacking their victim status as a result of the Capitol Hill riot. Um, Do they which, use that phrase, unpacking? I don't know, but essentially is what, that's what they oh, meant. Okay. Um, yeah. They wanted to you know, dissect it and acknowledge you know, their, their status as victims. Yeah. So Nancy Pelosi, who whose husband just bought a million dollars worth of Tesla options right before the Biden administration said that every federal government vehicle in the United States will be electric, um, so <laughs> was just like, yeah, sick, let's spend a couple of hours just talking about being victims rather than passing any laws or, you know, running the country. So like AOC and a few of the other Democrats took turns um, crying and apologizing to each other <laughs> um, in the house. <laughs> and um, then some people started alleging that AOC was not actually present in the building at the time of the attack and that she yeah. was sort of like falsely associating herself with it in order to like, um, I guess, claim the credibility that, in, that comes in woke culture with being, you know, a victim of any sort of, quote, oppression. And yeah. so then obviously... A bunch of liberals and Dems started getting fired up and are like, you know, you can't question her uh, her account of the events because the victim's always right. She was in the building, blah, blah, blah. And the truth lies, I think, somewhere in the middle. I think the Capitol Hill building is like a very large complex and I think it might be like connected to adjoining buildings and all of this kind of shit. So I saw there, her office is two blocks away or something from the Capitol, but there's just this big network of... Yeah, yeah. Someone on Twitter I read compared it to like a hospital, which to me makes a lot of sense. You know, like it's a yeah. a, a, a complex 
so which she was in but was not very close to where the chaos was unfolding apparently so then after you know all of social media started calling her out on her bullshit her office sent out emails asking her (laughs) yeah yeah, that was so good (laughs) um yeah um asking people to report on social media um any comments or users who were denying the fact that aoc was near the chaos during the capitol hill riots um and like most of these issues there's no uh closure or resolution it's essentially just like an open-ended display of fuckery from both sides that just ends in nothing constructive and wastes everybody's time um and essentially just leaves all sides humiliated and worse off (laughs) so so there you go um the only winners are the trolls man they're having such a good time like yeah i don't even know why you wouldn't be on the side of like i don't know just uh absurdist nihilism um in in this day and age because it's just so Mm -hmm. it's so funny so brutally hilarious like watching them all cry together in congress um followed by that like social media backlash and then like the desperate uh bungled attempt at censorship by like having her legion of um like who are these fucking people it's so bizarre (laughs) right yeah just on twitter like desperately smashing the fucking report key to try and you know be like that's not true yeah i um yeah, I can't comprehend being subscribed to AOC's mailing list. Like, imagine, like, identifying as an AOC supporter or sort of that being, like, a central part of your life. Like, yeah, yeah, taking either. action in support of her on social media. Like, it's very weird. Oh, you'd have to have the worst guilt complex, you know. Um, yeah, there'd have to be something going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> and, and to, like, have a Twitter account and to have the energy to actually follow through and, like, try and mass report, um, like, fucking neckbeards just posting on Twitter laughing at A.O. Smollett, which is a, like, incredibly funny thing to fucking say. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, just not having the humor to realize how funny that is. It's just... I can't... Ugh. I can't remember the, um the story behind the Smollett reference though was that uh, like there was some african-american actor who yeah like this, was proven to have uh falsely accused some people of like yeah. assault or discrimination it's or this, something uh yeah this gay african-american guy uh who was on billions i think jesse smollett um who claims that he was harassed by two guys in mega hats um who called him a fag and like threatened to hang him or something and Basically, it turned out to be complete bullshit. That, that it never happened. There's no mega guys harassing him, and he just made it up for clout. Um, uh, yeah. It good. was just, and it was mind blowing. It's like, why would you say that? Like, why would you even fucking make something like that up where you got <laughs> pushed around by two fucking, like, two little white dudes in Chicago? Yeah, well, I mean, we we asked the question, like, why would you say that? Because rationally, it seems as though there's no upside. But um, in our irrational world, the answer is all too obvious, you know? Like, it's so easy to get clout by making up that story. Like, the world wants you you to tell it, which is, like, very bizarre. (laughs) Like, a, a lot of people's day would be better if you lied to them about that and told them that that happened you know what i mean a lot of people a lot of people no no i was just gonna say a lot of people are like secretly waiting for that um 
I'm just going to send yeah. you a link to an interesting Twitter thread because you, you mentioned nihilism. And um, yeah. I just came across this and we may or may not edit this out for the final podcast, but I thought this comment on Phoebe Bridges smashing her guitar on Saturday Night Live was pretty like... <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. It was so sad. It's just like, oh, man. Oh, See, it's... I kind of like it, to be honest. Like, it's yeah. a pretty pathetic attempt at guitar smashing. But um, I really enjoyed this this comment um, above. So the, the first person who shared this said, Phoebe Bridges really, really, really capturing the mood of the moment, which is like, yeah, fair enough. Like, meekly smashing a guitar is pretty much what the world feels like at the moment. Yeah. And someone responded saying, he is completely correct. We're seeing the triumph of empty aesthetics over art, of people aping at effect instead of creating it organically. This is the death of the human soul in real time, and Phoebe is pushing it forward. Yeah, true. It's like one um, of those things that ends up being like a like a meta um, metaphor. It's like the act in itself wasn't trying to uh, display what it ended up displaying, which is actually a really interesting cultural critique. Exactly. Yeah, um, that's that's exactly it. And which yeah. is what like great artists end up doing. Yeah. Like when when Bob Dylan came out at the Newport Folk Festival and started playing his songs electric, mm. he was doing that because he wanted to do it. It's not because he was trying to make a point, but it ended, ended up being this like historic moment that a lot of like popular music ended up hinging on um, yeah. or like the became the axis that like a revolution in music sort of like spun around and yeah I, I just thought that was a nice little like anecdotal sort of thing and that, that's little moments like this are one of, is the reason I'm still on Twitter man I think oh, yeah. um, one in 10,000 posts I see on Twitter really strike this like deep philosophical chord in me and I'm really grateful for the people that kind of like make these commentaries or whatever yeah yeah I feel you that's the reason I'm on all social networks um, except for Facebook, which is all trash, but uh, the rest of them, like, you know, there's gems and it's just filtering out noise a lot of the time, you know, but there's fucking mm -hmm. absolute gems, 100%. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to get totally get rid of Twitter um, at this point. But I Well, use you're running the Modern Guilt account, so you can't Sorry. get rid of Twitter, mate. You've, you're fucking yeah, bound to fucking it for life. It, You've made your deal. Um, you've sold your soul to the devil and yeah, um, to the, bitter the devil man. will keep it. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, so um, another interesting little story which emerged somewhat quietly, hasn't had a lot of coverage, but I thought was very interesting is that the governor of Nevada in the United States has um, drafted legislation and made like a an sort of initial proposal surrounding it, which would see tech companies who meet certain requirements in terms of like finance and their sort of agenda able to set up what is essentially their own autonomous zones or like countries in Nevada on undeve undeveloped land where they would be um, exempt from a lot of the laws of the state and would be able to run their own schools, run their own tax system and essentially set up their own infrastructure so long as they could express a commitment to continually like and responsibly financing this society and kind of trying to generate, you know, um, and jobs and income for the state of Nevada, uh, which is something that like you and I, I think have talked about a lot as a potentially interesting idea. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something I'm fascinated about. I, I personally, um, am like, have been obsessed with this for 
well over a decade. I think if there's anything that's going to be sort of the next big thing um, that's so weirdly not talked about, I guess, but uh, I think it's going to be like little micro states, you know, micro nations, um, deregulated zones that can operate in either like a semi-autonomous fashion or a fully autonomous fashion, which is, you know, you, it, it seems outrageous the amount of, you know, that someone could just start their own state, but it definitely has happened and I'll get into that soon. But well, the um, the most successful example of this would be Chaz. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, fuck Chaz! Like people actually did do it properly. We talked about it like on like our third or fourth episode. There's Christina in Denmark um, that is operated as like Christiania. Yeah, Christiania. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, whatever. But, yeah, <laughs> I suck at pronouncing stuff, but. Um, that's operated for a long time in like a semi-autonomous fashion. Yeah, um, I, th- I think though, like the word operation is pretty generous to describe what happens in Christiania though. I think more so what happens there is a lack of operation, if that makes sense. Like it's kind mm. of just this like chaotic soup of like fucking degenerates as opposed to like an actual structured organization or whatever. Mm. Yeah, but it can be done as, yeah, as one yeah. of the things that I think. And like with... Um, Kowloon, the walled city, it's another sort of example that uh, through like, I guess, governmental indifference, um, you can have almost these states that operate fully on their own. Mm. Um, so the idea that tech companies are going to do it is, is interesting. I, I could imagine a lot of people think that's horrifying, and it probably is for a number of reasons. Um, company towns aren't new. You know, there's sort of like a long history of companies mm. starting up whole company towns for uh their like mining or oil operations or whatever but um the idea of tech companies doing it and then having their own curriculum you can just imagine how fucking bad that would be that's something that i thought about as well like the the ideology underpinning those like tech societies would be pretty um pretty toxic and potentially uh potentially absurd Oh, man. Um, <laughs> fucking disaster. But the yeah. gains are huge in this. Exactly. This like, if there's ever an IPO for a fucking small nation state, um, you know, which I don't see why that couldn't happen. Like, theoretically, why not? Yeah, why not yeah, I have, get you. Yeah, you're talking about something where the, the amount of red tape that fucks up progress is huge. It's just, like, ridiculous trying to get past it. Um that's not an advocation. Like I'm not advocating, you know, uh, complete deregulation. No, fuck no, no. I, you know, like I always say, I love the idea of um, experimentation. Like and full stop. That's kind of it. So yeah, this is cool, man. I, I definitely think that's going to be fucking interesting to see how they end up working within that um, mm-hmm. framework. I know Facebook and Google are already building their own towns. Right yeah, now. right. Like smart cities or whatever. Yeah, they, they basically bought a shitload of property. Uh, Facebook did. I can't remember if I talked about it on the pod or not, but it was something that I was looking into. Yeah. Uh, where Facebook bought this huge block and they're setting up a like whole complex there. They're going to have, uh, you know, where Facebook employees can live and fucking boost around and go from office to office and, you know, um, live in their own little bubble. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so nasty. Yeah. Well, one of the very first episodes, I think that we attempted... To record but didn't end up publishing um, when we first started this podcast um i talked about this book called microsurfs do you remember that i think so yeah and so i read a very long time ago i read this really amazing sort of long form article 
published on Grantland, which was a kind of analysis of um, of literature and film based around the kind of uh, what's what would the word be the kind of dawn of the tech startup age in the sort in the nineties and about um, this book called Microsurfs, which was the first sort of large scale attempt at encapsulating that experience in art. And this article, I've I haven't read it for a long time now, but I go back to it every like couple of years and read it again and again because it's probably the be- in my opinion it's the best long form article that I've ever read in my life, and I aspire to one day write something like it. So I'll share that in the show notes um, because that talks a lot about the the weird moods and sort of like emotional state of being in one of those bubbles. <laughs> it's that that sounds very vague, and I admit that it is because at the moment I can't recall specific details to like flesh it out. But I'll I'll share it um, so people can have a read, um, and I'll send it to you as well because I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that's gonna be exciting so mm. i guess watch that space uh one of the things that so prior to doing this episode you told me chameth um the uh Your mate. grifter that we talked about last episode <laughs> yeah uh, most recently famous for trying to pump gamestop uh attacking robin hood and then coming out and saying hey if you guys don't like robin hood because they guys kind of fucked you over on gamestop you should come check out our platform sophie um, who it turns out to the exact same thing as Robin Hood. Um, so just what a piece of shit. He's trying to start his own country as well in a tweet. Yes. You're saying something something to that effect. Yeah, so I was yeah. Like, he, cool. um, yeah. He shared a link to an article about this um, Nevada legislation and was essentially like, who's on board, guys? Like, come oh. in and I'll, I'm going to quickly look this up right now, but he referred to his possible country as something like a, a pun including a part of his name in it or something he's which such is like a fucking egomaniac okay. pretty horrific yeah it'll just be him swanning around in like a pair of boxes you know statues of himself everywhere but again i'm all for experimentation you know maybe chamath is going to be the guy to uh take us to the star trek age so yeah I, so I don't he goes um, he goes um who wants to start paliha nevada with me his <laughs> last name is palihaptia so yeah. yeah. Great. And yeah, you're right. He would probably spend most of his time walking around shirtless, um, just like tensing his uh, moderately sized muscles in front of every reflective surface. Talking about his um, male feminism and uh, you know, everything else that guys like that do. So one of yes. the things I got interested in is like, has this been done before? You know, uh, yeah. people starting their own little microstates. I've always been aware of Sealand, which is um, this like... Basically, it, it's just kind of like an outpost in the Northern England Sea. Um, oh, been, I've heard of this shit. Yeah, 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 it's just been kind of like up for grabs and and this like no man's land for a long time. Um, yeah, you know, there's been a lot of debate about whether or not it's a sovereign state or not. Um, it's kind of like it is, uh, but also it's not. So you know, it is in the sense that we don't care if you live there, but if you do anything illegal, then it will very quickly, I'm sure, be like part of whatever nation is finding whatever they're doing object uh you know not good (laughs) yeah yeah so i found out there is actually a ton of breakaway mini states um and a lot of them occur in the fine country of australia 
true. And yeah, I was fucking shocked. I didn't realize that Australia has one of the highest rates of people seceding from the fucking country and That's setting so up their own little microstate. Um, so it, I wonder where the closest one to me is. Oh, there's one in Queensland and like the coral. Uh, the coral coast. sea. Coral sea. Yeah, it's just like oh, gay no, lesbian wait, one. I don't know. Um, so. It's not fully... A lot of it just comes down to the fact that the council doesn't fucking care. And you can say, oh, yeah, I'm seceding, um, but you just still have to pay your taxes. And they're like, okay, whatever, we don't care. You're a little little country. So there's been a lot of these principalities set up by various, uh, just, I don't know, like what looks to be sort of, you know, classic blokey fucking Australian dudes who've decided to set up their own little countries. Yeah. All around the show, there's some in Sydney that one of them has 3,000 fucking citizens and it's just on the edge of Sydney. That's um, wild. I know, right? I couldn't fucking believe it. So there's this guy who had this like boyhood dream of owning his own nation, right? Um, and then he basically started this tiny little country called Atlantium. Uh, and now it has, it's yeah, twice the size of the fucking Vatican. Um, it's, I don't know how recognized it is, but they have their own parliament. They have their own coins, banknotes, stamps, all that sort of stuff. Whoa. Again, it's like, it's cool. It's funny. Uh, but the question of like, what can you do there is also, I think, you know, worthy. So they claim that within Atlantium, uh, they have assisted suicides legal. Yeah. The right to assisted suicide, on-demand abortions, and marriage equality, and unrestricted international freedom of movement are all enshrined by Atlantium's constitution. Um, the king of Atlantium is like a... He just like works at Bunnings as like a fucking sales dude. But apparently he's a really nice guy. So there's also been a couple cases of like Aboriginal communities seceding from Australia and starting their own basically like little nations within mm. the place and, and as far as i understand man you know like i said I, I think they're largely accepted um you know because of the indifference of the australian government so the one up by you the fucking coral sea um gay and lesbian kingdom was originally started because they wanted somewhere they could get married because uh who was it i think it was whoever was the prime minister at the time uh let me find out the Howard government amended the Marriage Act to prevent states and territories from recognizing gay marriages. Right. Um, these guys went and started their own little micronation on the coast of Queensland where you could just go get married, um, you know, which I thought was pretty badass. So yeah, I, I love how, like, their um, formal name for their micronation is the Gay and Lesbian Kingdom of the Coral Sea Island. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That's so funny. Um it's, yeah, it's no. hilarious how, like, a lot of these micronations have, like, they say that they're a constitutional monarchy and have kings instead of any sort of democratic government as well, which is, well, like... Well, they have to. That's one of the interesting things, is that they have to recognize the monarchy. They can't call themselves a republic. Um, because if they call themselves a republic, they could be tried for treason. So if we're going to set up our own nation, we would have to have a monarchy as opposed to a... Um, a republic. Ah, right. I yeah. see. That makes sense. Wow, yeah. that's such a bizarre little detail. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Eh? Um, anyway, it, it's one of those things, you know, at the moment it's all sort of like fringe weirdos by the sounds of it who are just kind of starting it. But 
I got to be fascinated to see where all these developments go because it, it's so underreported and the, the opportunities are fucking endless, you know, like massive places where you can do anything you want. Um, and, and like, yeah, the state's such a tired idea. Anyway, those, <laughs> my ideas on the whole thing. No, that's, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what like substantial financial backing can do to these, to this concept as well, because like, as you probably know uh, far more well than I do. Like, you know, these are all pretty insignificant, shitty little pockets of land run by people who have no money and probably like uh, a pretty deficient skill set in terms of <laughs> governing as well. Um, so these sort of like, I guess, uh, state sanctioned enclaves, I think will be quite cool because like I said, there's in Nevada, you know, you need to be able to demonstrate that you have the financing and capability to actually run this um, and run it well, which and I think that kind of vetting is pretty good. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, uh, that's probably going to be one of the main uh, transformations as as if this idea starts to take form. Is it'll be some sort of you know like obviously Google probably can't have their own little um, autonomous zone. And then just be like, all right, every drug's legal now um, and fucking do whatever they want. Mm. But the the real difference here that I'm, as far as I understand it, is you can as long as you can defend the territory. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so a very good point. So it comes down to like, if you have the firepower um, and you have the land and you have the recognized population number to qualify as a country which i don't mm. think is too high there's actually a show that i'm planning on watching where a guy tried to do this um it's called like how to make your own country and it's this yeah, British right. Canadian who just goes around and tries to fucking um start his own country and goes through the process of registering with the un and, and everything um i don't know how successful he is i haven't seen the show might be shit but yeah it, it's they probably can get away with slowly like more and more stuff, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think I, I agree with your point about, you know, like you can basically do what you want as long as you can defend the territory. But I also think you can do what you want without having to defend it, but also just not being in anybody's way. You know, like, um, like Christiania in Denmark is a perfect example of a place where people there are essentially left to their own devices, all drugs, uh, sort of like pretty actively, um, I don't know, like peddled in the community. Um, and until it became like a broader public health problem, they they didn't intervene. Mm. So like, as long as you um, you ran this this Google microstate where all drugs are legal um, in a way that cared for the needs of everybody, I suppose, and like you could contain the spillover effects of your like lawlessness, then I think the rest of the United States would probably just leave it alone. Because like it's Portland. like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, it's more trouble than it's worth, like in terms of like the taxpayer dollar, um, yeah. often to intervene in these situations is, well, is my thought on it. The fragile concept of law and what's allowed is like slowly breaking down. I think it'll feel like we kind of started seeing that with the riots and then you're seeing it more and more with Portland just being like, fuck the fed, uh, all drugs are decriminalized mm. and you know, shrooms now for, um, depression and, and stuff like that. And it's like when, when you sort of push back on what was, you know, law <laughs> or what was like, literally you cannot do this. This is illegal. Mm. Um, it's a lot less, set in stone than it seems to be. You know? Yeah. 
Well, um, a lot of what happened last year in terms of the riots and the ongoing violence in Portland, um, and you know, I, I say violence in the technical sense, but it's it's not as though there's some sort of like guerrilla uprising. It's just a bunch of Antifa losers throwing rocks. Yeah. But like it goes back to Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes, which was essentially like the the first book or work that tried to outline the idea of like what defines a nation state. And he essentially said that like there needs to be what he described as a Leviathan, which is one party that holds a monopoly on the legitimate use of violence. Um, mm. And obviously that ensures the social contract is upheld and that order is maintained. Um, and last year there was sort of almost a voluntary sort of like relinquishing of that monopoly by the state in the United States um, to mm. an extent. Like you saw the police stand back and allow those riots to get pretty intense at times. You obviously saw the Capitol Hill riots, um, regardless of how violent you think that was, it was violent <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. Like the Proud Boys and Antifa moving around as sort of like quasi paramilitary groups. And it seems as though the state is yeah letting letting that their monopoly on the legitimate use of violence erode somewhat which is when law can start to break down um which is really fascinating uh, i don't yeah. think that like gen typically when that happens in other countries you're talking about you know war-torn states like iraq or libya or whatever where multiple groups vie for power because there is no monopoly on violence there's no overwhelming force um so, you know, it'll be interesting to see if in the United States, if this is like a sliding scale, you could say that the um, obviously a monopoly still exists because 99.999% of the capacity to inflict legitimate violence is still in the hands of the police and the, the United States military and whatnot. But I wonder if citizens are going to gradually claw, claw some of it back. Or companies. That, that's the other thing. What, what if the day that a company decides that it's had enough of... Um of where it is like they can up and leave but maybe one day and as we're seeing they can just say well fuck it we're just going to start our own area you know mm, i i don't see companies resorting to violence though true but coca-cola kind of did already they what paid happened off a fucking, they paid off a paramilitary group um and uh oh god i forgot what country it is it actually it should be its own segment because it's such a fucking amazing story that they effectively um were involved in like violent coups i think it was in south america or something <laughs> yeah right yeah so i mean this stuff isn't like outrageous it's not so outlandish that it hasn't already kind of happened before like there are companies that have fully been involved in um bloodshed you know and they're not no names. They're they're like some of the big guys. Yeah. See, I think the the difference is though that it seems I'm just quickly glancing over this now is that Coca Cola were you know they were sponsoring violence in another state as opposed to challenging the monopoly of violence in their own state. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I I, yeah. I think I don't think they would like directly do that. It'd be more of like a weird uh sort of like economic warfare or yeah yeah they would lobby very they're most likely just going to lobby the absolute shit out of a bunch of fucking you know um 200k a year senators to fucking get their way mm. and be like that car that you've always wanted is yours if you can set up our <laughs> autonomous zone your coca-cola um, shaped porsche is yours yeah <laughs> like a sports car shaped as a coca-cola bottle yeah that'd be um that that would happen on the simpsons Oh, fuck uh, that. And probably in real life. <laughs> I'm sure it already does. 
um, bullish on that anyway. Mm, yeah, it's definitely something that you could talk about for hours, I'd say, and toss around the possibilities. So another another article that I've come across recently, um, which I was reminded of because you were talking about the sort of relationship between violence and lobbying and the kind of maybe possibility of blurring the lines between the two, is this article published by Time magazine uh, less than a week ago now. Mm. Uh, titled The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. Right, and cool. Hit me with it. The reason that I was reminded of this by that language of violence is that, uh, and I'll explain a lot more about this, um, the context of this soon, but there's a lot of reference in here to like progressive activists as like operatives and calling sort of like social movements operations and a lot of this sort of like quasi military language to talk about what is essentially um, lobbying or nonviolent activity. But anyway, I found this article really confusing and somewhat discomforting. And I still do, to be honest, I'm still having a really hard time wrapping my head around this because what it describes is what they call a bipartisan effort to quote, fortify the election process. And there's a lot of sort of double think or... Uh, is that what everyone's going on about on Twitter right now? I just see that yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I was just ignoring I, it because, you know, I was yeah. thinking about GameStop, but... <laughs> a lot of double think and newspeak in this. And essentially they describe this kind of campaign or loose collection of campaigns amongst different groups. And it's interesting in the title that they use the word conspiracy or in mm. the first, first um, paragraph rather because they describe this kind of alliance of um, progressive groups and sort of think tanks and institutional players that got together at the start of 2020 and essentially figured out a way to do what they described as kind of saving democracy. Um, but what you can interpret pretty easily to be as rigging the election. As much as I hate to say it, like it feels dirty to so blatantly kind of just use that language because I don't think the election was rigged. I'm not down that rabbit hole. But when you- Stolen, you mean? Because there's a difference between the steal the vote thing and- I don't even think it was stolen. Oh, no, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like uh, you're separating the idea of a rigged election, you could argue is rigged if the entire fucking media is blasting someone as like a candidate and shutting down dissent versus the literal stealing of the election. Yeah. which is the whole vote, voter fraud bullshit yeah, that's, that's yeah. going around. So, so I guess in that, when you put it that way, I, I would probably agree that the election was rigged to an extent, um, if mm. that's how we define it, and I'm pretty comfortable with those definitions. So essentially what these guys did is put all of these situations or sort of all of these contingency plans in place, like uh, demonstrations and a range of statements that would come out from big CEOs and influential figures in the states that would so they could basically pull the trigger on election day and say either congratulations joe biden on saving democracy or that you know trump has won and we need to do something to stop it so they had this architecture in place to either a resist or quash any kind of questioning of the election results if the democrats won or b immediately start this process of trying to uh, repeal the results in the case that Trump won, which is, it's truly bizarre because they talk about, you know, saving democracy, but 
the plans that they've put in place essentially were attempting to guarantee one result. Yeah. And and they're so convinced of their sort of like their position on this that they don't even recognize that they're being completely partisan and somewhat authoritarian. And there's just, there's a lot in this article. And this is the reason that I'm saying it's confusing and that I'm I'm probably struggling a little bit to kind of explain it to its fullest extent and kind of maybe make make the listeners sort of realize how unusual and <laughs> impactful this is. But what I find the most confusing is that Time magazine have published it because if you even entertain a slither of doubt about um, the agenda of mainstream media institutions and whatnot, then you can read this as an admission of guilt in the sense that <laughs> Time magazine is, and is basically speaking out on behalf of all of the sort of like centrist or left-leaning major media publications and are saying like, yeah, look at what we did. How great is it? And yeah. they're pulling the curtain back and they're bold enough now to say, yeah, we've done it. And what? Like... It, it seems as though they've, for a long time, major media institutions have tried to maintain this um, veneer of objectivity. And mm. this article to me seems as though they're finally, they're coming out from, from behind that veneer and are really blatantly kind of acknowledging that this entire time they've had an agenda. It's pretty bizarre that they would do that. Um, I don't truly know why bizarre. they would, why I, they are. I think it's a flex. Yeah. I think it's Do meant to be intimidating. Power? Like, yeah, I, I sort of get the idea as well that it's kind of like this, like they're just enjoying, you know, fucking uh, drop treasuring in, in front of everyone right now. But like the reality is, man, they, they can fucking posture all they want. Okay, did they pull this off? Like, probably. I mean, there, there was no fucking question on like the amount of dissent from media. Like nobody mm. can even, I, I don't see how anyone could debate that no matter what side of the coin you fall on, um, or even if you're squarely in the middle, that there was a like strong pushback against anything from the Trump administration, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and it just shut down all dissent. Like, and I mean, I'll even, I'll even add to that a strong pushback against anything that wasn't Biden and Kamala, uh, and Kamala Harris. Cause remember even before the, the democratic nomination was confirmed, like there was a lot of controversy because you know, Bernie Sanders was being shafted in the mainstream media as well. Oh, yeah. 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 That and, was it, and, fucked. It, and it wasn't until Biden won the nomination that it became, you know, a, a party thing. Um, yeah. Well, I, I remember um, first seeing Kamala Harris and she was a prosecutor cop. And now she's an empowered black woman. Um, so that whole narrative change was pretty fucking big. Yeah. Know? It's very interesting. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Um, uh, wokest cabinet ever i guess mm -hmm. um yeah so yeah that whole thing is fucking bizarre i i can't i hate these fucking news organizations you know like i i really can't wait for them to go bankrupt like there's such piles of shit yeah it, it was so obvious that they had coordinated that um entire effort and and for what they've ruined their credibility and now nobody likes the news again and they're not going to because it's trash you know they, they, there's no fucking information ah <sighs> Yeah, I wonder if I mean I, I have no idea what their, what their finances are like, but I wonder if they have a strong enough baseline of people who just want confirmation bias that they won't go under though. Probably not, because I, I, I think you know the slim majorities, fifty one percent of Americans, for example, or people globally, um, probably want to keep consuming this kind of shit. You'd think so, but it's, um, there's graphs already 
being published about the drop off in uh, viewership and listenership and readership. It's just mm-hmm. like it, fall, it fell off a fucking cliff because nobody cares anymore, right? Like it's just, it's kind of irrelevant. You know, there's a few pieces here and there, but the big threat, it's over and it's not entertaining. Mm. I, I, I think that it might, um, News Corp, Rupert Murdoch's company has been in steady decline for like a number of years, you know? Yeah, they have been. Um, and if anybody can make money I in, in the fucking media landscape, I'd be betting on fucking Rupert Murdoch. You know, he's ruthless. But yeah, even he's sort of like been fucking going downhill. I think the Washington Post isn't going anywhere, but it's only because it's backed by Bezos. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. He bought it like a while ago. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I had no idea about that. Yeah, That's yeah. unreal. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. Fucking hell. It would be really interesting to look into um, the ownership behind a lot of these other major papers as well, actually. Mm. I wonder who owns the New York Times. Yeah, I don't know. That's one thing that I've, I've uh, wondered about. So that's, <laughs> it, I guess it'll remain to be seen whether this is like the final admission and them beating their chests for the last time that they actually pulled something off um, and was successful prior to the fact that they were dying before 2016. You know, that news media was slowly becoming more and more irrelevant. Yeah. Um, and whether they can ever do it again, you know. Um, I shrug my shoulders. I don't think so, personally. Uh, I bet within the next five to ten years, a lot of these companies are just going to be more and more relevant, more clickbaity, more just kind of like trash fucking um, pieces that don't... I mean, you, you go to the fucking any one of these websites nowadays and you just feel like half of it's clickbait and, and not even good clickbait. It's not funny, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd rather get my news from like funny Twitter trolls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the New York Times is an independent company by the looks of it. Yeah. Um, so it's owned by the New York Times company. Although in 2009, it reached an agreement to borrow $250 million from the Mexican billionaire Carlos Slim to help the newspaper company finance its businesses. It's since repaid that schedule. Um, since then, Slim has bought large quantities of the company's shares. It, mm, yeah, so it seems as though Slim is the only sort of like major outside shareholder. Um, he, he's the largest shareholder in the company. So, mm. But I don't, I don't know a lot about him. I wonder if... Yeah, neither. Um, I know he's in like telecommunications or some shit, but... Yeah. Uh, so I mean, he was the richest person in the world from 2010 to 2013. Wow. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. Anyway. Holy motherfucker. He accounts for 40% of the listings on the Mexican stock exchange. That's fucking nuts, sir. Uh. His net worth is equivalent to about 6% of Mexico's GDP. That's so fucking nuts. That's fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. He's like independently like the black rock of Mexico. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fuck, yeah. That's badass. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. I can't wait to see what sort of happens in the next five years or four, four years, I guess, throughout this entire thing. You know, because yeah, it's going to be more, interesting. Yeah, I mean, for every single time that there's a like Senate hearing with um, people going on about their victim complex, I'm sure that they fortify their strength. Or for every you know article, um, self congratulating and performing like auto fellatio in front of like all the fucking viewers and readers they're gonna lose a little bit of an audience you know of people are like ah, okay whatever you know this this sucks or this is boring and they might fortify strength within their like the original 
masses of people that have nothing better to do. But um, I feel like a lot of people are just like, who can be fucked with this stuff? It's not overly interesting or entertaining. It's just kind of like a waste of time. I, I think a lot yeah. of other people would rather, you know, and this is not as much my opinion, but our, um, our uh, you know, fr- friend of the pod, um, who's, who's his own media Still not here. Still not here. <laughs> destined to come on at some point in time. People don't want to read this shit. They want to look at fucking, you know, Kim Kardashian's latest uh, swimwear piece, or they want to read about um, why sushi will kill you, or they want to fucking hear about something interesting and novel. There's mm. always going to be diehard political people, but the majority of people who were wrapped up because it was so fucking entertaining to see that, like, like who Trump was going to call a shithole country next, you know, or like what was going to happen is the best fucking show on earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's dead now. And and now do we get, you know, like I was a victim in front of the whole fucking, you know, like it's just <laughs> boring yawn. I'd fucking, yeah. They want to read about GameStop going to a thousand fucking, you know, percent within a short period of time and people taking on wall street and all these other stories. It's going to be interesting to see who or what the next boogeyman becomes for the left, because obviously Trump galvanized the Democrats and, and the left, um, and I think won the Democrats a lot of support from people who are largely apolitical. Mm. And now that he's gone, they have the pandemic to address for the, you know, the next 18 to 24 months, I'd say. And then you still have the second half of the Biden administration, which will need some sort of antagonist. Mm. And the media will need some sort of antagonist to, to pitch him against. And it'll be fascinating to see what emerges. Yeah, well, whoever it is, there's some really interesting preconditions that I think that, that needs to be satisfied. Is that They have to be erratic um, and they have to be brutally entertaining. And if, you know, that's it. Not, yeah. Yeah. If they're not like the thing with Screlly, like why he was such a great victim is fuck, he was funny, you know, like. And, and just so entertaining during his short run of fame and why he was such a great boogeyman that the media yeah. could sort of hold up and then, um, you know, use to demonize as well as uh, push through their own agendas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny, like during the period that he was getting annihilated by the media, all these fucking drug companies started coming out and be like, we condemn the uh, raising of drug prices on, on <laughs> fucking blah, blah. But all those motherfuckers did the same thing. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Um, it, uh, it's, it's really hilarious as well, the way that figures like Hillary Clinton so transparently take the bait that the media sets out for them. Mm. So during the, the Screlly saga, you know, she publicly called him out on Twitter and there was somewhat of a, like a feud between Screlly and Hillary. Yeah. But it's pretty funny the way, like these, these politicians and and you know the hedge funds in the wall uh, in the GameStop story are a perfect example as well. They'll they'll rear their heads out. They'll pop out from their little caves to just like attack whatever target the media sort of dangles for them, and then kind yeah. of just like brush their hands together and be like, "All right, like um, I've I've taken shots at another like easy target now. Now I can go back to my fucking office and keep taking lobbyists' money." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it must feel. I mean, I'm sure they don't feel dirty doing it because they just keep doing the same thing over and over again but it's pretty dirty behavior like it's the whole thing is like um it's like fighting in a in a fixed boxing match or something oh do you know yeah, what i'm saying yeah, they like yeah. they wheel out this cadaver on a fucking i don't know on a little like frame for you to yeah. just like swing at 
and there, there's no chance right from the get-go that they can really stand a chance. And then you get your public kudos and then fuck off and wait for the next round. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and that's exactly like when the narrative was all about um, hedge funds being the bad guys, we saw all the charlatans come out. And this is the, this is the laws of human nature, right? Like this is just fucking Ray Dalio's thesis playing out in real time. Where, wherever there's a buck to be made, you'll fucking see them come out or whenever there's an agenda to push through quickly and capitalize on the noise of a fucking shindig, a hee-haw, a fucking <laughs> dance, like of a fucking chaotic scene, you know? Yeah. And that's when the, all, all of the creatures come out, man, the fucking chamifs and everything. They'll scuttle out of their little holes and, and like quickly fucking try and be the champion and the leader of, you know, these things. And then, the the narrative will flip depending on who's holding the fucking who's playing the strings mm. you know because the hedge funds are the bad guys then chamath was the good guy cat you know fuck i'm gonna take down the hedge funds join sophie fuck robin hood um then the narrative flips and then the washington post was releasing that like actually the hedge funds are the good guys in this scenario because these transphobic racist redditors and it's like bruh, fucking reddit's like the fucking wokest spot on the internet just you know it's so yeah, fucking the, the <laughs> white nationalist GameStop shareholders are trying to undermine like liberal society or whatever yeah, like good honest liberal yeah. headphones um, okay and they're calling them like russian disinformation assets and, and stuff like that and so you know the narrative flips again and then andrew citron famed left comes out and is talking about how he's trying to get he was almost hacked and there's children being abused. Ugh. It's funny, though. It is funny. So no one can deny that. Yeah, well, if if you don't laugh, you cry. So uh, we're lucky that we do have these motherfuckers to, to laugh at. Well, at you might miss out on making a buck as well, right? So, like, um, I think no matter what's going on in the fray, it's worth taking, like, the impartial fucking stance and just watching the whole thing unfold. Yes. Um, yeah, fuck, that was wild. Anyway, fuck them all. I can't wait to see what happens next. <laughs> yeah, I I wonder if we will just have like a little, a quiet period now. Do you think <clears throat> in terms of major media stories as we kind of hopefully regroup and get vaccinated and, and whatever? Well, hopefully, um, because being in the share market right now, you sort of crave um, periods of quiet growth and stability. Um, yes. You know, and, and that would be good. I would enjoy that. Uh, mm. But also the system will break at some point. Burry's fucking the absolute fucking shit out of me um, and I'm getting sketchy. Yeah, but you've got to remember that that's his bread and butter. Like yeah. as, as much of a genius as he is, like that's his whole shtick, man, is he's got to be peddling some sort of fair narrative at all times otherwise he's not michael burry true yeah 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 so take it with a grain of salt yeah yeah oh and i do but i Mm. I think like knowing what he's talking about and the fact that there is like a real risk there will Mm -hmm. you know is is super important and and like i don't know if you can manufacture um outrage when the fundamentals of what are happening are mutual If, if the world is 
honestly just kind of like going okay. Everybody's pretty adjusted to the new normal. The vaccines are on the way. The stimmies are going to fucking, you know, flood the economy with money. Uh, you know, it, and it just seems like things aren't too bad, especially compared to last year. Like there's this relative neutralness. What are you going to dream up? I mean, you, can you make a boogie, a boogeyman out of fucking nothing? You know? Yeah, like, you can. I think you really can. People do it all the time. How is that going to be? That, that's the thing that I'm going to be interested in. Like, mm. um, you know, and there's always going to be black swans as well. Like, you, you never know if there's going to be another fucking massive shooting or another, like, or some horrible shit that's happening. I, I've been very loosely watching uh, the Iran nuclear fucking... Uh, the, I don't know if you're aware, Iran's been making... Like an, or on track to be making a nuclear weapon or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Biden's trying to tell them to shit to shut it down, basically. Mm-hmm. And it looks like you know there's just a, there's enough there happening right now that it's kind of like a fucking tense geopolitical situation. Yeah, so, yeah. That's um that's a fairly that's fairly standard procedure with Iran though. Um, it's kind of the um the nature of the Middle East and geopolitics. Mm. For, 20 years or something now i'm still traumatized Um, from threads though man like you know oh yeah you don't have to worry about that man it's okay (laughs) iran's not fucking building a nuke or firing a nuke at anybody it'll never happen yeah i promise you yeah um there's a boogeyman that we could fucking go circle back on it the whole terrorism thing i wonder if that's gonna rear its head now that um you know domestic terrorism is kind of like melting away into well um it's probably racist now. Yeah, true. You know, you, like real pandemic. <laughs> yeah, you know, actually, the uh, the ironic thing um, about you know new wokeism and um, the sort of what's the word the the white guilt complex and whatnot is that the only thing that hasn't been applied to where it is actually fully accurate is terrorism. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like no one has used the the theory that are being that's being applied to western society to western society today to wheel back 20 years and look at how what we've identified now actually did impact you know these third world countries and perpetuate whether or not you see it as a real problem terrorism Mm. um which is quite funny i imagine it probably won't get done either Um, (laughs) well i see a lot of talk about them going after crypto as like a um, way to address like the new terrorism, you know, it's, mm. it's, and everything. And, and Janet Yellen from the Fed coming out and basically like aggressively talking shit on cryptocurrency as a method to like fund domestic terrorism and, and everything. Um, and I think we talked about that on an earlier pod, which is one thing that I found fascinating now that Tesla's in cryptocurrency. Oh, uh, yeah. They just bought $1.5 yeah. billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, huh? Yeah, yeah, that's actually, yeah, that was actually something that I was fucking uh, keen to dive into. Like, that's a whole, that's actually kind of a big deal, I thought. So, you know, Elon Musk has been relentlessly pumping Dodge, Doge, Dogecoin. Yeah, whatever, the the, the Shibu, Shibu Dogecoin, whatever the fuck it is, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was started as a joke. And I'm kind of curious to see if he's going to get done again by the SEC for pumping mm. shit because he's such a fucking pump king you know like yeah yeah uh <laughs> but um yeah the fact that they're in crypto and they're looking to start ex- accepting crypto as payment for tesla cars is like probably the first thing that's made me actually think about owning it as like a you know something that i would actually like potentially look at 
I, if I was to put my, my cynic hat on, I would wonder if this is potentially a marketing stunt. I think the vast, vast majority of people who are in the market to buy a Tesla are like finance bros and like crypto freaks yeah. um, who like, you know, their fucking Twitter bio is like, you know, tw Tesla Model 3 owner, like uh, Ethereum programmer, like yeah. fucking day trader or whatever. That's like Black their whole chain. identity. Yeah. yeah. And like, I wonder if just positioning themselves as the crypto car slash energy company is a way to just completely uh buy over that market oh 100 like it, i'm it's a smart move I, I i think like he just capitalizes on reddit like he 100 yeah. percent fucking lurks around he looks for what like marvel comparison people are making at the moment you know and then just like starts fucking doing like some little stealth tweets and then it, it all becomes part of his fucking master plan you know yeah. So speaking of master plan, master plans, I'm mispronouncing a lot of words this morning. It's weird. It's like I have multiple accents. Um, yeah. I came across a bit of a pessimistic Elon take recently, but it's one that I thought was interesting and worth weighing up. And it's basically the idea that Elon is largely a snake oil salesman or yeah. might even be running something similar to a Ponzi scheme where he keeps essentially like dreaming up or shitting out these outlandish ideas capturing the imagination of a sort of like ambitious but deluded segment of the public yeah um raising all of this cash and then really though is kind of just like i don't know working on his own lot yeah and so like a large part of the reason that i think so many people invest in tesla is because of elon's other companies just because of the publicity that they bring him hmm. so you know like the boring company spacex Neuralink. i'm sure there are others that i'm not thinking of and, you know, there's a lot of skepticism about how effective these things are ever going to be. Like recently, he made an agreement with uh, Miami to start uh, boring tunnels under Miami to build the um, Hyperloops. Is that what they were called? I can't mm. remember now. Yeah. Um, but essentially now the details have come out and like they appear to just be tunnels with lights in them yeah. for Teslas. Um, and also ignores the fact that like if sea levels continue to rise miami will be one of the first cities in the world underwater yeah and it, it's just there's there's a lot of fancy language and like a lot of aspiration and not much tangible delivery um there's the whole we're going to terraform mars thing and it's like well yeah i know we are in theory but are we really probably yeah. not it's yeah. it's a bizarre one i hear, one. I, I hear yeah. you yeah so back in 2016 the um I love that you brought this up because I specifically revisited this uh, fucking article that I read back in 2016 called mm. Elon Musk's Empire um, Countdown. And it was about how he's actually like the fucking ultimate financier <laughs> as much as he is like, you know, an entrepreneur. And he's more of like um, a hype man and a fucking amazing financer, um, you know, to and that's part of how he's become so, you know, insanely successful. Mm -hmm is so everybody's aware of like these insane things that he starts saying you know and he, he talks about like oh tesla so in the article in 2016 they're like he was saying that tesla is going to be um doing 30 billion dollars of revenue by 2020 right and yeah right this was <laughs> written in 2016 when the company was doing six billion dollars in revenue and it's just fucking insane to think that it would could possibly happen but he has this 
fucking track record, man. Like, I'm not a huge Tesla fanboy. I'm only invested in them um, through ARC, and I haven't ever owned any fucking shares in them or whatever. I've always uh -huh. been really sus on them, just because I was thinking, like, well, how successful can they be? You know, like, he always fucking under-delivers. But that's kind of impressive if you set the bar so fucking high and it's just like, what? Like, you know, that you end up saying, well, if he meets a fraction of what he's claiming he can hit, um, then that will be amazing in and of itself. Yes. So when he was, back in 2016, he had this weird mashup where like, so he owned Tesla and then there was Solar City that has solar panels. Then there was SpaceX, right? And those are the three sort of main things that he was in. Um, and he'd set it up that he had borrowed money against the price of Tesla uh, to the tune of $500 million from JP Morgan or something. So this is where he almost got fucked up by the shorts, is that if the price of Tesla fell, he was going to get like a uh, margin call and, and potentially default. So like you have right. to admire the sheer like... Who's the balls of it. The yeah. balls of a guy who's willing to take out money against his very speculative, volatile stock. And that if it plummets, that he would have been financially fucking ruined. You know, like, like broke. Like, a, mm. you know, you would have seen him on the street. Um, and he set it up that SpaceX was loaning money to Solar City that was also looking at merging with Tesla that was borrowing money from the fucking banks against its own share price, as well as taking on tons of debt that he was having to pay off. So he had this like really confusing financial situation where a lot of it just kind of came down to the fact that he had to pump fucking Tesla's stock. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, if yeah. it fell, his whole empire collapsed, right? So mm -hmm. I think that's part of why he's just like, you know, and Tesla always had this dream but it really became this sort of like new visionary company all of a sudden i think around the same time where he was like fuck you know <laughs> gotta make that dough gotta gotta make sure i don't go bankrupt tesla's gonna do 30 billion dollars of revenue in 2020 and then the economist was like you know if mr musk could hit such a figure that it would mean um you know tripling his sales in, in a short amount of time and it was like well how the fuck is he possibly going to do that and I think that's where he started capitalizing on the, this is pure conjecture on my part, but I think uh -huh. that he realized retail investors comprised enough of the market that he could pump his own fucking company using their money um, to keep the share price, as well as creating the narrative around short sellers trying to suppress the company. And, and it was like, well, you know, he was famously tweeting, uh, who do you think runs the media? Um, and calling the SEC the short selling um, enrichment commission or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he did it, man. He successfully fucking pumped the stock. He didn't go bankrupt. And to his credit, and this is the funny thing, to his credit, he's always under-delivered to a level that is impressive because of his ridiculous expectations of where he should actually be fucking delivering. You know, so the fact that, like, he said $30 billion in 2020, they did $21 billion of revenue. That's fucking insane. That is an extremely impressive growth. But yeah, yeah. I'm also, looking at, they did, um, yeah, no, sorry, carry on. <laughs> well, this is, again, one of the things that, you know, I don't think he's the epic genius of that 
a lot of people on Reddit um, are fucking, you know, claiming and stuff. And they're like, oh, Tesla makes all its money from cars. They don't. They make a lot of their money from fucking energy credits, which is hilarious. It's like energy credits, um, speculative investments is another thing that they've made their money from. And it's been, you know, for a long time, they've basically held assets that have just by chance sort of gone up in value. They also make money, obviously, from selling cars. Um, but they're in like tons of different fucking boats. And that's why the Bitcoin thing's so funny to me. I think he's buying it as a hedge. They made $150 million today on Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I fucking yeah. <laughs> believe that it is. Okay, so I mean, part of it is like they know that there's a market they can tap into. But also um, he's bullish and he thinks that crypto is going to go up in value. And then that's also going to protect them. Because my suspicion is that they've been hoarding cash. They have something like $19 billion in cash now or some shit. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, they're, they're huge. And I think he's trying to protect himself from an inevitable or, you know, may, maybe not inevitable. I, I think it's it might happen at some point that the company's going to plummet in value uh, and that they want basically assets and, and everything on hand to make sure that they can continue, you know, to grow and not go bankrupt. Also, if they plummet, maybe other car companies can plummet and they can start to look at doing mergers. They just did another merger with another company or something. So, you know. Uh, yeah, right. The whole thing is so fucking interesting and fascinating that I, I personally don't think he's running a Ponzi scheme, um, but I definitely think he's a hype man. And I don't think that he's a, they're not a full blown car company. They're fucking. Oh, by like, no, don't, by no means are they. No, they're. Yeah. They're an idea company, I think, largely. Oh, yeah. Um, I still wouldn't invest in them, man. I don't know how they're going to make up. They make, like, their profit is so low compared to their fucking i think just a tick over 700 mil for this year i mean for 2020 yeah um so yeah so yeah you know 800 billion dollar company 700 million a year in profit it's just nothing it's peanuts you know mm. but who knows they they maybe can do all sorts of stuff the thing that i always love is that he's like under delivering on insane promises consistently enough that you sort of think like in terms of a story, it's fascinating to watch, you know, mm -hmm. maybe he'll become the next like fucking the crypto trillionaire. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't believe it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think he's yeah. still young as well, which is crazy. He has so much more he can do in his life, mm. which is truly bizarre. I hope he gets to Mars. I hope he achieves what he wants to. Um, but yeah. I'm skeptical. He's our Howard Hughes, you know? He's like mm, yeah, larger yeah, than life, good. weird, eccentric, and pulls off feats that are like, you, you can't deny like what he's done is fucking truly impressive. Um, mm. you know, and as much as I love to be contrarian, like I, I just don't think you can. It's fucking fascinating. It's, it's the best show on earth at the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a perfect way to put it, actually. And, the best well, show on earth. And that's also, you're right. Like, can he do it? Well, fuck, man. I would rather bet my money on him doing these this crazy shit like at least he's doing cool shit you know at least yeah exactly like, right we're gonna connect the world and, and you know <laughs> like fuck that i'd rather yeah. this sort of thing it, it's at least worthwhile you know um speaking of the best show on earth something i would really love to do is like go to one of those um the spacex launch sites and see one of these like starships fucking get launched mm. that would be unreal man they look is so epic they're enormous like the sheer oh, yeah. scale of that is so so impressive yeah it, hey as long as people like anything's progress in that realm you know 
Mm. That's fucking amazing. Like that when that grain silo effectively, like whatever it was, the big fucker uh yeah, just just lifted just, off. Yeah. And you see like the actual size of it, it's like, dude, that's like a fucking three or four story building. Oh, they're just, bigger than that, dude. Like really? they're absolutely massive. Um I'll I'll uh look it up right now. So the starships are 120 meters tall. That's insane. That's yeah. so fucking insane. So like they're longer than a rug- longer than a rugby field on its side. That you see, and like stuff like that. You know, he's had doubters throughout his entire um, thing. Like people were like, "No, there's no way that you can make the battery work, or there's no way that you can make the car fucking uh, affordable and stuff like that." And you got to hand it to the guy that he's fucking he's been done able it all. to. Yeah, he's done yeah. it all. Is it oh. as good as he says it was going to be? No, never is, but like, who cares? <laughs> and something else that probably isn't as good as the creator says it will be is our exclusive content on Patreon. Oh, so, no, that's much better, but we're fucking underperforming that. <laughs> By my expectations, even. Look at fucking Oxygen. Holy shit. Yeah, well, we'll see. we'll see if we can keep up. Yeah. So, go to patreon forward slash modern guild and sign up for the podcast for five dollars a month let us know uh if you have any stock picks or any that you uh would like us to do a little bit of research on um as we mentioned in the last episode we're building models now to um like a discounted cash flow model to forecast um the price coming up with price targets and we're going to release the models as PDFs for free, um, including our due diligence. But Check if you Twitter. want to listen to the full-length podcast, which will be the deep dive into the justifications behind it and our thinking, um, as well as the Excel spreadsheet so that you can um, build on the model yourself or work in your own thoughts on it to um, sort of, you know, come up with alternate price targets or whatever else, subscribe and you'll get that. So we're trying to still hook up the free fans, but then also provide something extra again to people paying. So please let us know your thoughts on either that content or the free stuff. Um, hit us up on Instagram at Modern Guilt Pod, Twitter, guilt underscore modern. And other than that, take care. Uh, don't let the haters get you down. Go make some money. Have Enjoy a good the life. show. Tune in. Show. Tune this in. was Have a episode... Laugh. 33 and we hope you enjoyed it don't take sides see you next time Peace. peace